Well, hey, good morning, Mercy Road. Let's make some noise in here. Man, hey, listen, my name is Mark Johnson. If we have not had a chance to meet, I'm the lead pastor for Mercy Road Church Anderson. Come on, let's make some noise. But those of you who are tuning in online, if this is our first time meeting, I just want to say, hey, um, what up, though? So, uh, listen, um, this is a cool time because this is actually the first time I get an opportunity uh, to preach in the family of Churches of Mercy Road. Um, so this is kind of an introduction, but it's cool because I'll be sharing some things about me, getting to know me, and then uh, you'll have some time to get to know me later. But today I felt like, why not, in the first time that I preach, you get to hear a little bit about my story, um, learn a little bit about me. In fact, one thing you should know is that there was this gorgeous woman on stage singing. That was my wife. Yeah, that was her. Um, and so uh, I, I was worshiping real hard because, you know, she was up here. And, uh, no, but thank you, Jesus. Um, so anyway, one of the things you should know about me is uh, I'm a big, big uh, Marvel fan. Um, any, any Marvel fans in the house, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I love Marvel movies. Um, and, and actually, um, that's like one of the favorite thing, one of the favorite things that me and my wife, we love to do. Um, and a couple months ago, I had an opportunity to check out one of the, I think it was probably one of the best Marvel films. It was Spider-Man No Way Home. Anybody saw that? No? Okay. Okay. You, okay. Listen, uh, no judgment zone, but I, I think that like what makes a good superhero movie is not the superhero, but it's the villain, right? Like, like if, if you tell me the best Batman, you're probably going to say Dark Knight because they had the best villain. Right? But, but see, the difference of No Way Home is that the villain, it, it, was, it was interesting because if you know Spider-Man, if you don't know Spider-Man, Spider-Man is like, he's this, this character that, that wears a suit. He wears a mask, so you don't really know what his identity is. But in this film, his mask gets pulled off and his identity is revealed. And, and so what's interesting is there's this identity crisis that takes place because the real Peter Parker is now known to be the superhero Spider-Man and vice versa. And what happens in that story is so cool is that you get a chance to see him wrestle with his identity because him being known as Spider-Man costs Peter Parker a lot. And at the same time, what's cool is it's a film that gives us an opportunity to see and kind of come behind the curtain to figure out and to kind of witness like what it's like to have to be a superhero in the real world. Uh, and so it's an incredible film, and it's this identity piece that, that all of us have, you know, probably in us, that we're, we're struggling with who we show at work, who we show at church, and who we are when we go home at night. And so we may not be a superhero, but, you know, we, we have masks that we wear. And, and this is a really cool film because I think that No Way Home is, is super dope. I think it's one of the best films. But one of the other reasons why I think it's a dope film is because I think it does a good job of showing us how your failures can fuel your future. That, that, that when, when you have failures or when, because what happened was Spider-Man, he did something in the previous movie that got revealed. And as a result, they saw him as a murderer. And because of that failure, it caused him to, to have to deal with this, with this crisis. And, you know, I, I think it's a dope movie. If you haven't seen it, check it out. I'm not going to spoil it for you all the way and tell you how it ends. But I will tell you this, that it gives us a, a, an ability. It has the ability to lift us up, to draw us in, and then 
to send us out to live boldly and love deeply. You see what I did there? You see what I did there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right, let's jump into God's Word. Y'all ready to hear God's Word? Y'all ready to hear God's Word? Let's jump into it. Uh, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this time of sharing. We thank you for each and every person that's here, for the minds, for the hearts that are here, God, for the spirits and the souls that are here with us and those that are watching online all over the world. We pray, God, that you would allow us to hear from you and not from me, God. But then, God, I help, ask us to help to, to take this word and use it and apply it. But if this is a season where we don't feel like we need it, help us to save it and store it. Because there is a season coming when we shall surely need it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when I think about Spider-Man, like, it kind of pulled me around to this, this really cool story um, called The Prodigal Son. You guys heard of The Prodigal Son? Now, now listen, don't, don't check out on me because you're probably like, oh, yeah, I've heard that. I, I can go back home now. Uh, but I want you to know, like, if you're checking out faith for the first time, if you're wrestling with your faith, if you've been a part of the faith for a long time, The Prodigal Son is one of those stories that no matter where you are on that spectrum, it has a way of locating us because we've all been in The Prodigal son's shoes. We've all been in a space, in a season where we thought that our plan was better than God's plan. Let's jump into the word. Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, you can put it up on your phone or your mobile device. Um, Luke chapter 15, uh, verse 11, and 13, 11, 12, and 13. It reads like this. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, Give me my share of the estate. And so dad's like, sure. He's like, yeah, yeah, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. So he gave it to his son. And not long after that, the younger son got together all of his inheritance, all of his property, all of his stuff, all of his money. And then he went to a distant country and there squandered it, his wealth in wild living. Okay. So this is, a, this is a cool story. Gospel of Luke, if you're not familiar, he's one of the gospel writers, the authorized biographer of Jesus. He covers his life, and the way that he covers his life is through very detailed uh, account, right? So he tries to get these details, and I love it because the details really reveal a lot about Jesus' character and the way in which um, we can actually live and govern our lives. And so Jesus is telling this parable about this dad who has two sons, and obviously Dad's got a couple dollars, right? Dad, dad's living on Knob Hill. He's got an inheritance, um, and his sons know this. And he has these two sons, and it, like inheritance work, right? You, you, basically, you have an inheritance, and when the parent dies, that inheritance gets divided amongst those who are living. Um, but in this case, the son is like, look, I, I don't have time for that, right? I, I don't have time to wait for you to die, Dad. Um, I actually want my cut now. Can I get it now? And Dad's like, you sure you want it now? He's like, yeah, I want it now because I think I know what to do with it right now versus waiting until later and waiting for the process to develop and waiting for, for you to give me more wisdom. I'd rather take it now because I've got a plan. I got a bright idea to do what I want to do. I got this business I want to invest in. I, you know, I, I've seen this car that I wanted to get and uh, I, you know, I saw these, these ladies that I wanted to impress. So I saw this guy that I wanted to you know, really uh, have a date with. Right, like So these are the things that, that I want to do. So that's like Okay, here you go. You take it, he goes, and he squanders it. Now, before you judge him, just know that you were once that prodigal son. 
You were once the kid, the teenager, the 20-something-year-old, the 30-something-year-old, the 50-year-old, the 70-year-old, who still believes that they had the best plan for their lives. You once believed that you knew uh, how to do it all. You had a plan. You knew what your career was going to be. You knew what your relationship was going to be. You knew how your family life was going to be. And you had a plan. And you thought your plan was the best plan for your life. You thought that the way that you scripted it out, that the way that you mapped it out was the exact way that it was going to happen. But just like the guy in the story, life happens. And I don't know about y'all, I grew up in the 80s, so like I'm a Mike Tyson fan, uh, not, not just for his boxing, but now he's like kind of a wisdom guy. But, but he said this quote, and he said, you know, everybody has a plan until, you know, you get punched in the mouth. But I say it like this, right? We all have plans until life gives us a punch, we all had a good plan until you got the call from the doctors. We all had a good plan until the company folded up. We all had a good plan until our teenage son just doesn't think that we're the coolest dad anymore. We all had a good plan until we got pregnant and we realized we hadn't even gotten married yet. We all had a good plan until life punches us. We all have a good plan. But then when life happens and you find yourself in these positions, it starts to rock you at your core. And that's what happens to this son. Um, but, but see, sometimes it's not just life happening to us. Sometimes we make life happen to us. Sometimes we're the cause of our plans being derailed. Sometimes we are the ones that stop praying after we got the promotion, after we got the house, after we got the marriage and the, and the 401k to the level that we wanted it. And then we were like, all right, God, thank you. We don't need you anymore. And once we got to that place, what do we do? Like we, 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 we started doing things our way. Kid gets his money, gets his inheritance. He goes, he squanders it and he has his plan and the plan gets derailed. He didn't think he was probably going to lose it all. He probably was like, yeah, I'd spend some here, spend some there, spend some here, spend some there. And all of a sudden, he goes from living in a palace to living with pigs. And he's looking around, and he's like, how did I end up here? Like, I used to live, I used to have a king-size bed. I used to have a nice backyard. Man, I used to live in Carmel. <laughs> but now I'm living in Tent City. Under the highway that's not even fully finished. I wish they finished it, but they haven't finished it yet on 65. You know, it's like now he's living amongst people and places and things that he never thought he could imagine being in. It's the same thing because in that moment, he's wrestling with this identity. He's wrestling with who he is because he's a son of somebody of status, of means, of wealth. And yet he's here in a place where he never thought he would be, but he's there. And as he's looking around at the pigs who are sniffing his butt because he hadn't taken a shower in weeks. He smelled worse than the pigs. But anyway, you know, he's, he's there and, 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 and all of a sudden he starts to come to himself and he's thinking, man, like, how do I get back home? How do I get back to the place that I told them I had a better plan than they had for me? How do I get back to the place and face faces that I, that I let down? How do I face the embarrassment, the shame, the guilt of knowing that I let so many people down? That I, that I didn't do and I didn't fulfill a plan and I didn't make our name great, but I made it look bad. 
And so he's struggling and he's sitting there. And, and, and here's, here's the thing. We got to give the son some credit. See, because he could have easily stayed living with the pigs. But he came to himself and he started to realize that, that maybe I should never allow my situation to determine my destination. See, that's a word for somebody in here, somebody watching online. Like whatever situation you're in, you cannot allow that to define you because the situation does not determine your destination. No, like where you are, the circumstances that you're in, whether you're in the pigsty, whether you're in a business that you don't like, whether you're in a marriage that feels like it's getting ready to fail, whether you're in uh, some type of business thing that's gone awry. Listen, the situation is not the destination. I don't care if it's cancer. I don't care if it's high blood pressure. I don't care what it is. The situation has the ability to change. And the son, he doesn't forget that. He doesn't forget it to the point where he starts to come to himself. He comes to himself and he realizes like, man, you know, even if I go back, I, dad, I don't even want my same bed. Like you can, I can sleep with the servants. I'm cool with that. Because I don't expect you to give me what I had when I left. Because I messed up. He was preparing his speech. You ever been in a, in a situation where you like preparing your speech? To go back home, you know, after you messed up, uh, you know, when you were like a 10, I remember I had this story. My, my, mom, my mom, she let me get the car uh, to go on a little movie date, you know, 16, 17, got the car. And uh, we go out and um, I'm on our way back home. It's late and we're driving. And, um, you know, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, how do I get the third base? You know what I'm saying? I'm trying cruise down the street. I'm thinking about it. And then I, my mind gets lost. I, I take my eyes off the road for a split second and I swerved the car. We were on like a, we were on like a bridge. And uh, I, like in my mind, I'm thinking we're going to roll over the bridge. And I, I put my foot on the gas and the brake at the same time. Yeah, that was, that was bad. No scratches on the car. Car still looks normal. I noticed on the way home that transmission was slipping. And I'm like, oh, this is bad. So, you know, park the car, take it back. Like nothing happened. My mom wakes up the next day and she's like, what happened? She's like driving the car. She's like, something's going on with my car. I'm like, I don't know either. This is, this is terrible, you know? And so, uh, you know, but I remember the ride home. I was five minutes from home. It felt like five hours because I'm trying to think and process what to tell her on the way home, and I ultimately, I, I told her 20 years later, but you know, <laughs> you know, I, I told her, but the truth is, you know, you have those moments, and can you imagine him preparing his speech to go back to his dad, to go back to face the faces of people who you've let down, to go back to the job, to go back to the spouse, to go back to the ch children, to go back to your kids, to go back to the family member in the space of people that you've let down. That shame, that guilt, that agony, that tension, the anxiety, the weight. But he decides to go back. He decides to, to make his way back. And, and, and even when I think about his story, I think about my story of how you have plans and those plans get derailed by life. Peter, Peter Parker's story got derailed because the mask came off. The prodigal son story gets derailed because he just squandered all of his wealth. Mark Johnson's plans got derailed because 12 years ago, 
I was applying to be a pastor of a church 12 years ago. Second year of divinity school. All of my friends, you know, we, we all were preaching around and they're getting, they're getting accepted and they're going to churches and they're becoming pastors of churches. And I, you know, I felt like I gave up a lot to follow God, you know, because in undergrad, I was an electrical engineer major and I was like three years in. So I was like going strong and I was like, you know what, God, I'm going to follow you. So I changed my major from electrical engineering to philosophy and religion. And my dad was not happy. Uh, he's like, what are you thinking about? What are you doing? And I had this whole philosophical reason. I'm like, well, I like, I like, you know, doing circuits and I like doing differential equations, but God, I was like, dad, I'm so deep. Like, I'd rather learn about the people who created differential equations, right? Like, and he's like, what? That, but you're not going to make any money knowing that, right? But I, I, I sacrificed that and I changed my major and I decided to go to school and, and my friends were getting all the yeses in the world. And for 12 years, I was getting no's. Went on to get a doctorate degree. God gave me an opportunity to be a college professor at 25 years old. But that wasn't what I felt like I was called to do. But God was still preparing me. I didn't know it. I was teaching at an HBCU called Coppin State University, which happened to be the place where my mom got her undergrad degree at. It's a long story. I won't tell you that one. But she ended up getting her degree there. And, and, and fast forward, I was also teaching at another college called Montgomery College, which is like a predominantly uh, diverse college. It wasn't white. It was like my class might have 50 students and in that classroom I would have 30 countries represented. That's kind of diversity it was in Montgomery College. And I didn't know. I'm like, I'm, I'm pissed off at God because God, I'm like, this is cool. I mean, it is kind of cool, 25 and a college professor, right? Like you kind of walk on campus. First day of school, I will always play this joke. Like I would act as a student. So I would sit in the class. I would like, man, this guy's late, you know, like, who is this guy? Have you heard of him? And they'd be like, yeah, I heard he's easy. I'm like, really, you know, <laughs> I heard he's a jerk. And I'm like, really, okay. And so, uh, and then at, you know, at the 15 minute rule, at 15 minutes, you can kind of check out a class because he's not coming. And uh, I went to get like 14 minutes. I'd be like, well, let's start a signing sheet so that we can, you know, sign in and get out of here because it's 15 minutes. They're like, yeah, let's go. And then I stand up and I would go to the front and I say, hey, good morning, class. And everybody faces drop, right? And uh, anyway, it was fast. It was cool. I got the story way too long. All right. So um, 12 years, knows I'm a college professor. I'm still preaching. God's given me opportunities to preach all over the country. And uh, I get this invitation to preach in Indiana. Um, and, and I'm like, Indiana, I don't even know where that is. I know, I don't know anybody there. I get called to preach at this church. It was a young adult service and, um, God moved in a, in a major way. Like 30 people came to Christ. Amen. And, and, you know, at the end of that, the pastor was like, Hey man, how do you think about working here? Huh? What? What are you talking about? I don't even know where I'm at. Is this the same time zone as East coast? Like I'm, I'm confused, right? I came here to preach, but he's offering me a job to be on the staff as an associate pastor. At the same time, I was up for like tenure at the college that I was teaching at. It was like I was going to be full time, and it was like, cool, it was good money too. So I took a pay cut. Well, let me back up. Two months prior to preaching, I got married. It's a big part, big part. Because, you know, she's never been to Indiana, and I'm like, Going back home, I go to preach, I come back home, I'm like, hey, I got this job offer you. How you feel about moving to Indiana? And she's like, what? What is that? Like, not, not where is that, like, what, what is Indiana? And so, I, you know, I explained to her, I'm like, well, you know, this is an opportunity, you know, this is what I feel God calling me to do, but this may be a way for me to get there, and I take it. 
And she's like, all right, let's go. I'm like, what? You, let's go? Okay, we're going. So we pack up everything. We move here. And um, one of the biggest reasons why I decided to take that opportunity wasn't just because I got an opportunity to be on the pastoral staff, but it was because the pastor told me at the time that he was probably going to retire in a few years. So if I came be the young adult pastor, raise up the next generation of leaders, and then within a few years, I'll retire, and then you can go ahead and carry this work forward. Great. That sounds like a good job. Good deal. Let's do it. Two and a half years in, the pastor's like, I feel like a young adult again. I'm going to stay seven more. What? Wait, 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 wait. God, that wasn't the plan. So at this point, I'm like, God, you got to do something different. He said, no, I'm doing something different in you. See, sometimes you feel like God wants to change the situation, but sometimes God is using the situation to change you. And in the process, I'm looking for, for somebody to give me, or it's for me to walk into a church the traditional way. And God was like, no, I'm calling you to plant a church. I'm like, God, we got enough churches. I don't need to plant any more churches. Like, what are you talking about? He's like, no, no, no. I want you to plant a church. And God planted that seed in me and my frustration and my anger. And I felt like, God, you, you're tripping. And I decided, okay, birthed a, a church planter. But then I had to go through a season of, now let me tell you all this, I'm from the black Baptist church tradition, all right? You know, when they lean back and they hoot me, ain't he all right? You know, uh, that's where I'm from, all right? All my life. When God put in me to be a church planter, he put me in position to work at a predominantly white church. You see what God is doing? Even in my professorship, I taught at an all-black space then a very diverse space. Then he puts me in this all-black church, and then he puts me in this all-white church. And what God is doing in me, and he puts this church planting in me, and then the pandemic hits. Because I went to that church because we wanted to multiply. Things got derailed. Then I just got frustrated with God. I'm like, God, you're tripping. You're taking too long. Like, not only have I moved my family in, not only do we not have any family to help us out with babysitting. Oh, we got a two-year-old. Her name is Noah, if you haven't seen her. Um, she's funny. Yeah, she's funny. Anyway, um, so, and I'm like, God, you, you're, you're really tripping. And to the point where I'm like, not only did I forget about, I felt like God forgotten about me. I was at a place where I wanted to forget about God. Have you ever been in that place? Maybe that's you right now. Maybe you feel like you want to forget about God because your plans have been derailed so much that you feel like God doesn't even listen to you or hear your prayers. So I wanted to give up the call, but God had put something in me. Me and my wife had a tough conversation on a plane ride, coming home, celebrating my mom's 60th birthday, and it was a really cool time. And then we get on the plane, and I'm crying like a baby. And, uh, you know, in the, in the moment, I was frustrated because I knew God was calling me to do something. And part of it was just the fear of putting myself out there. My wife challenged me to put yourself out. How do you expect God to do something? How do you expect people to even know that you're looking for an opportunity if you don't put yourself out there? And I'm like, yeah, okay, right? Fellas, you know that conversation. All right, so she pushes me to do this and I put myself out there, but I made a decision on the plane. It was a Wednesday on the plane. She's like, I got to tell the pastor that I'm working with at the time, I'm like, I got to tell him I got I to gotta leave because God is calling me to plant a church. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know where, but that Wednesday, I went into our one-on-one -on -one meeting, and I told him, hey man, I gotta go, where are you going? I don't know, God called me to plant the church, I feel compelled that I have to let you know, I'm gonna be leaving here, I don't know when, I don't know how, 
But I need to tell you today that my clock is ticking. Because if I don't do this, my life will implode. If I don't do this, I will internally be dying. That was the weight that I felt. Have you ever felt that kind of weight that if you don't do something, it will kill you? So that was a Wednesday. I tell them this. Do you know, one week later, we're in the same meeting. The standing meeting, one-on-one, on Wednesdays at 1.30. 1.30, one-on-one, Wednesday meeting. We're sitting there, we're chatting, going through the stuff. And I see this email come across. It's like, Mercy Road. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. And uh, it was interesting because it was through my church email. On my resume, I don't have my church email. I just got my personal email, right? So I'm thinking, oh, maybe they want me to come preach or something, right? I heard that was a cool church. I think they're in that old Borders bookstore or something. I think I seen them somewhere. I was like, okay, cool. But then the email... I opened it, and it says, hey, maybe you don't check your personal email. Huh? <laughs> Did I miss something here? We've been trying to contact you for a week. Do you know that when you get into God's plan, that the moment that you feel like you've been forgotten, that God will come find you? And a week later, I get this email, and they're like, we want to have a conversation about Mercy Road Church Anderson. And here I am. <laughs> so the prodigal decides to go home. He decides to get on God's plan. And the moment he takes a step in that direction, the moment I told the pastor I got to go, the moment I stepped in faith, the moment he put shame and guilt and embarrassment behind himself, the moment he starts to move toward the palace, guess what he sees? He sees his father running toward him. Running toward him. Watch this. It says this in verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, watch this. Daddy don't even talk to the son. He's so excited about his son being back home. He doesn't even say anything to the son. Son over there, dad, dad I'm sorry. You know, I messed up. I'm not your son no more. Daddy, daddy not tells the servants quickly. Bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, and sandals on his feet. Okay, I'm going to close this. So, he comes back home. The moment he steps in faith, God becomes, he, he, his father comes after him. And the process of his father coming after him, he gets to his father's, is in his father's presence, and his father's yelled to the servants, servants, go get the robe, go get the ring, go get sandals for his feet, okay? For you, it's like, okay, maybe he was just naked because he didn't have nothing no more, so he's like, cover this boy up, you know? Uh, boy ain't got no shoes, get some shoes for the boy, you know? But that wasn't the case, no. What it was saying was this, don't you know that the robe is actually a symbol of God's grace? That the robe is actually a sign and a symbol that the father used to put around his son to reclaim him as a son. See, the robe was a symbol of reclamation. 
That he said, no, this is my son. He's messed up. He didn't cross every T. He didn't dot every I. He jacked up. He messed up. He's tired. You probably don't think he's mine anymore, but no, he's still mine. Who is that for today? Some of you feel like that God forgot about you, but God is telling you today, you are still his. No matter how bad you messed up, no matter how bad you screwed up, no matter what you've done, God is saying you're still mine. He reclaims you, but watch this. He doesn't just put the robe on him. He puts a ring on his finger. The ring symbolized restoration. See, it's one thing to be reclaimed. It was another thing for the son to be restored to the same position in the house that he was when he left it. See, God not only wants to reclaim you, but God wants to restore you. God wants to put it back in you. He wants to restore your peace. He wants to restore your joy. He wants to restore your happiness. Why? Because that's how a father is. But why? Watch this. I like this dad because he doesn't just put a robe over him and a ring on his finger. He said, go get him some sandals. You know why he said he'd get him some sandals? He said, because I ain't going to have this boy here eating up all my food, sucking up all my AC all the time. No, he said, no, get him some shoes because not only is it about reclamation and restoration, I'm restoring you because I have a destination for you to go. He says, I'm just not going to restore you, but I'm giving you sandals because I'm sending you back out so that you can serve and show people how you've been restored, how you've been reclaimed. Who am I talking to in here? God has a destination for you with your name on it. There's a community for you to serve. There's a place for your testimony and all of the stress and the trial that you've been through has not been just for you, but it's so that God can use your story to bring somebody else to Jesus Christ. Who am I talking to in here? Listen, not only is it a reclamation, restoration, and a destination, I'm almost done. Watch this. He ends up throwing his son a party. He throws him a feast. He says, go get a fatted calf. He says, not only is it about reclamation and restoration in your destination, but in order for you to get to your destination and be received well, I've got to rebrand you. I've got to remarket you. I've got to change the perception of you. So I'm throwing you a celebration so that you can begin to be excited about what God is not only doing in my life, but what God is going to do in the life of those who you will now reach in your destiny. Listen, this is what excites me about Anderson. See, because I felt like I was forgotten. Peter Parker wanted to be forgotten. The prodigal son said, I am forgotten, but I'm going back home. And when he got back home, God had a way of throwing him a celebration. So that's how we are re-entering into the Anderson community. You've got a card on your chair and you've been invited to the celebration of a vision party that's happening at Mercy Road Church Anderson. Let's make some noise for that. Yeah, see, God wanted to take some Somebody like me who felt forgotten to a city like Anderson because all I hear is yeah I used to live in Anderson I went to school in Anderson I played ball in Anderson and then Anderson started to go down and when it started to go down we left we decided to move to other places because we didn't want to be a part of that anymore and guess what some of those people stayed and when they stayed they felt forgotten but see we're coming to remind them that God did not forget about you God did not forget about you God has a plan and a destiny and 
and Mercy Rose energy is the catalyst to, I believe, not only bringing back souls to Christ, but businesses will be restored and marriages will be restored and students are going to be restored and lives are going to be changed. And I invite all of you to be a part of that because that's what our Father wants. And see, I know this story is often called the prodigal son. But it's more, it's more about the merciful father. That the reason why Jesus even tells the story is to remind us of how his father welcomes him back home. It's the way that I believe that the community of Anderson is going to welcome Mercy Road. And as we remind them that their father hasn't forgotten about them and say, hey, welcome home. Come back home. And you know, it's something about home. Uh, you can tell your home because you can smell home. You know how you go to grandma's house, you go to mom's house, and they got that food cooking, and you walk, ah, smell good. I'm home, baby. See, that's what God does for us. He wanted to remind us. He knew how important it was for us to have a meal. And when you walked in today, you had a communion set. And I want you to grab that because, see, that's a symbol of being home. That's a symbol of, of God saying, listen, every time you do this, every time you take this communion, it's a reminder of my table. It's a reminder of the moment that, that, that Jesus decided to set aside for us to come back home. To be reminded of the sacrifice that he made so that you could have a robe and you could get the ring and you can get the sandals. And that's why we worship, because we worship as a celebration to what God is doing and what God wants to do. So I want to pray for those elements. Listen, you can take them at your leisure. Whenever you feel the presence of God, we're going to have some more worship songs here in a bit. But you decide when you want to come back home. When you want to come to the table, when you want to take that communion and when you want to be brought back in, because that's what our God wants us to do. So come on, I want you to stand. I want to pray for us and pray for those elements. God, we thank you so much for what we've heard today. And as you've reminded us that when we feel like there's no way home, you remind us that your arms are wide open. That for someone here today, they needed to be reminded that even though they messed up and even though they didn't do all of the right things, God, you have a way of, of bringing us back home. For someone that was the grace that they need to be reminded of, the mercy that they need to be reminded of. But for some of us, God, we, we just need to be encouraged and to be reminded. And so, God, we pray that you bless this wafer and this juice and um, whatever they have online and whatever they're partaking at home, God, we pray that you would bless those elements and remind them that we're all at the table. That we're all home. That we're a part of a body of Christ. And if there's someone that, that, that maybe that's their next step today, I pray for that person that's deciding today, I'm following Jesus. That the situation is not going to determine my destination. That where I am, I don't have to stay. But there is a way home. That there's a road called mercy that wants to invite them into the family again. So God, we thank you. We bless you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.